Welcome back to our biocognitive community. Today's conversation is going to be all about archetypes. And over the last few years of studying biocognition and going through my own self-development process, something that I find very, very valuable and um, a topic that I know a lot of other people ask a lot about is archetypes. So a couple things that we wanna do today. Number one is try to make a list of a whole bunch of different archetypes that might be applicable to you in your personal and professional life and also bring clarity um, to the process of identifying archetypes that are different than your role, your title, your job, and tasks that you have to get done in the world. So the first question that we have today for Dr. Mario is, what is the definition of an archetype? And can you give us an example of two or three common ar archetypes that a lot of us probably use without knowing? Yes, archetype is uh, one of the overly used and misunderstood word, like uh, mindfulness and contemplation and things like that. But for our purpose, some of the archetypal concepts come from Carl Jung, who did quite a bit of work in that area. And an archetype is a prototype, something that you see in every culture, a universal set of characteristics of a prototype and the culture can give it certain flavors, but it's still the universal characteristics. So for example, an archetype of father, that's an archetype, mother, father, hero, healer, visionary. Those are the prototypes that you see in every culture. But the important thing about this, and this is something that I talk about that is so important, is that these archetypes are something that every generation picks up and passes on to the next generation. So what happens is that the archetypes have a biological signature, have a way, has a neural maps of fatherhood, the neural maps of motherhood that we create across cultures and from generation to generation. So you have that, like a blueprint or like a, like a signature on your biology, and then your biology expresses cognitively the archetype of the father, the archetype of the mother. But the significance of this is that since that is a, you have a signature biology, it means that that biology and that bioinformational field works in a particular context. If you overuse it or underuse it, then it's like using the wrong tool to deal with a particular problem. This is why people, when I work with people in, in Fortune 100 companies, the first thing that I teach CEOs is to use the right archetype and never to abuse it. Because if you abuse it, your biology doesn't go well with it. And that's why many people sometimes get sick and have gastrointestinal problems and have hypertension and other kinds of problems, in addition to other things they do. But mainly, it's the archetypal abuse or underuse. So that's the beginning idea of an archetype. So can you go back to the, you use the term prototype. So if we think of an archetype as a prototype, what's the function that it offers us? What's the function is always contextual. It's, it's always in a context. In the context of a, of a man and a child is the father. A woman and a child is a mother. A teacher in school is a teacher, not a, a lover, because that would be a pedophile. So you see, you, you have to keep the archetypes within the context. And the context will tell you what archetype to use. So one of the things that we teach in our training, as you know, is that we teach people to identify the context 
and bring in the archetypes that they have. We all have these archetypes. We have thousands of archetypes. But the most functional in our modern society are the father, mother, student, teacher, visionary, healer. Um, those kinds of uh, archetypes are really the main archetypes. But for example, if you're in a visionary archetype, the certain biology, you have a signature already, you have a biological signature and all the cognitive and biocognitive processes that go with it. So if you have a visionary context of running a business or or having people that, that you're uh, trying to get from one place to another, the visionary is always in the future and comes back from the future to tell us what the vision is. But if you use that with your partner, if you use that with your friend, if you use that with your child, then it loses the value because there are other archetypes that are more effective, more efficient, and more uh, healthy than using one archetype in, uh, in other areas. Um, an example is uh, Steve Jobs, I believe, that burned out in addition to all the crazy diets and things that he was done, because, and also the genetic predisposition, all those things, he just could not get out of the visionary archetype. He's a visionary with his wife and with his children, with his friends, and he couldn't get out of that. And then you burn out. So that's why it's so important to understand the archetypes and to understand which one you want to be here. And the context here, in the context right now is the context of a teacher. I'm supposedly I'm teaching something. So I'm not in the archetype of the father or the authoritarian or the lover, it's the teacher. And then that brings out all the wisdom accumulated from thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years from our homo sapien species. And then you have tremendous access to information, very rich information. But if you go to the archives and you're in the visionary and you, you can look for the father, it's wrong. It's not it's incompatible with the, with the context. I want to go deeper with that because I've had conversations with teachers, for example, who say, well, my job is a teacher. So isn't my archetype also a teacher? So can you talk a little bit about how you go deeper into that context? Your job might be teacher, but what's deeper? What's, a, what's the true archetype or two or three archetypes that might be coming out behind a job that seems like your job title is the archetype, but they might not be? Well, that's the big mistake that people make. You, we have a a general gestalt archetype, and then the others are secondary. But you're a teacher in the classroom. You're not a teacher with your partner. You're not a teacher at the grocery stores. You're a teacher in the classroom. And if you want to be efficient, and you want to be healthy, and you want to be compatible with your biological signature, then you're a teacher at school, and then you drop it, and you're something else. You're a wife or a husband or whatever you are. Uh, mother so that you can shift so we have all archetypes available to us but we get fixated on one and since it works well in one area then we take it everywhere out and we think that it's going to work and then if you ask your partner for example am i being too much of a teacher your partner will say yes i don't need a teacher i need a partner <laughs> so you have to check with the environment the environment will tell you if you're overdoing my kids used to tell me look uh don't be a doctor with me i want you to be a dad <laughs> so that's that's how I learned that, uh, that you have to shift. So there's no one archetype per person. Their propensity, minus a teacher propensity. I want to teach, 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 but I know that I can't in every in every context because if, if I do that, I'm abusing it and it has physiological and psychological consequences. Because hundreds of thousands of years of wisdom are broken down if you don't follow that wisdom. And very few people talk about that. Can you talk to us about 
the best ways to start um, assessing if we overuse or underuse an archetype. So what's the dysfunctional aspect of, of utilizing archetypes as we start learning about them more and identifying for ourselves what we use too much or what we use in the wrong context? Well, there, there's a, that's a great question because there's several ways you could do it. One, ask yourself which one works the best for you. And you're going to find that you're using that more than you need to. So if you're a teacher and that works really well for you, then you're going to try to use it everywhere, but it doesn't work. It's like if you're really good with a hammer, nailing uh, nails, just because you're good with a hammer, you can't take the hammer everywhere. And that's what uh, Maslow said. If you look at the world with a hammer, you're going to see nails all over. And that's the reason. So you have to shift archetypes and then find out which one is needed here. But the interesting thing is sometimes you have the archetype of the uh, castigator or the, the archetype of the punisher. Mm -hmm. And that archetype may be with you all the time, punishing you, punishing you, punishing you. And it has a biology, which is very negative and very toxic. So do you need that archetype? No, you need to shift it into the healer, or into the archetype that's incompatible internally, because you can do internal archetyping also, as well as external. Something that's so fascinating to me about biocognition is the cohesiveness and the comprehensiveness of all of the different um, topics and content areas that you talk about. And what I really love is that we can talk about a theory or a philosophy or a concept and always go back to the science of what's happening. So what I really am curious about right now is how would I know what the psychoneuroimmunological impact of my archetype is? If I'm overusing, if I'm using an archetype in the wrong place, uh, like you said, I'm just thinking of what you just said about having a hammer. If I take my carpenter archetype with the hammer and the nail into my musician archetype to my piano, my hammer is not going to work well with the piano. So functionally, that's easy to understand, but what's it actually doing to my body? Well, you're going to get exhausted more easily uh, because you're not functioning at, at that maximum efficiency effectiveness. You our stress is going to go up because you're hammering something with a with a, the handle of a screwdriver, so your stress is going to be higher. Uh, and the if you if you start failing it, if you don't do as well, then you're going to blame it on yourself rather than you're not using the right tool. And in the long run that can cause some problems because your stress level will be high. Uh, in some cases, you'll punish yourself when you don't do well, when you when you shame yourself, as you know, uh, your shame causes inflammation. And inflammation is related to almost every illness from cancer to depression. So it has a negative effect on you because you're not using what took hundreds of thousands of years to perfect and you're messing it up just because something works for you, then you use it everywhere else. So it has this second immunological effects, as you said, and in the long run, it, it can cause uh, problems for people. And that's why a lot of people have, I would I call it archetypal sickness, because they're just uh, not doing what they need to do. And it's very easy to break from that once you understand it. Sometimes I work with executives who have gastrointestinal problems, and they shift archetypes, and they learn to get out of the visionary. Or, for example, uh, you have a CEO who's supposed to be a visionary while a CEO, but he's a manager a manager archetype, so he becomes a micromanager and he's exhausted at the end of the day. Then he's got to drink some coffee or he's got to have some drink. You see, it's a, com a compensatory kind of thing because you're overusing something. So you get out of the manager, you become the visionary, 
And what I teach in, in, in organizational science, uh, biocognitive, is that a leader does not lead. A leader inspires. And a manager does not manage. A manager facilitates access to resources for the people that supposedly are supposed to manage. Mm. Um, can the expression of an archetypal wound impact the way that we use archetypes differently if we have uh, the archetype of shame as a primary or, or prominent archetypal wound, if we don't know that that's something we need to work on in our own self-development process, how does that inform the way that we underuse or overuse certain archetypes? Well, that's a great question because I'll clarify a little bit about the archetypal wounds. Archetypal wounds are wounds that I find that the cultures will do all across cultures. And what I found is that there are only three, uh, fortunately. <laughs> um, you can be abandoned, you can be shamed, or you can be betrayed physically, emotionally, intellectually, and everywhere. So if you carry archetypal wounds, which are a way to punish you uh, in a particular setting, if you don't do well in the visionary archetype, you'll be punished with shame, or you'll be punished with abandonment, or you'll be punished with betrayal. And shame is one of the worst because that's the one that causes inflammation. So I have two books on that explaining the process of archetypal wounds and, and how bad they are for your, for your wellness and how to correct them because each, each of them, as you know, has a, a, an antidote. Uh, so uh, that's a great question. The, the archetypal wounds are the punishing mechanisms to keep you within the, the pale, to keep you within what the cultures tell you you should be. And uh, they have a very negative effect because all three of them have psychoneurological consequences. Um, I'm thinking just personally about going along this journey myself in biocognition, thinking about um, shame is a huge archetypal wound in my life. And I think a lot about personally and professionally um, the archetype of prostitute, right? Giving up my own personal truth in order to fulfill cultural truth, which you've talked about in some of your other lectures and workshops, but not the physical giving myself away, but intellectually compromising what I know my competence in order to uh, fulfill somebody else's goals in a way that they think is best instead of my own. So I, I think it's really interesting to start putting those pieces together and understanding the impact of it personally, vocationally, spiritually, whatever it might be, but it's it's really profound to start looking at how the different components interact with each other, which takes me to our last question. And I want you to talk a little bit about one of the tools that you offer at your website called the Priority Circles. And I'm so fascinated by this tool because as you talk a lot about in biocognition, the tools that you've created are deceptively simple so I know a lot of other people that have also used the priority circles and um, I've seen the application, the way that they've put them to use in their own life. So can you talk a little bit about this tool and the unique way that archetypes come into the priority circle to make us healthier and more efficient? Yes, that's a, that's a great question. And, and, and that's a very practical way to look at it. The priority circle is, Something that appears, as you say, deceptively simple, but it's not. It's much more complex, and, and it has tremendous value uh, in, in your wellness. It's, it's four circles. If you see them in uh, left, right, up, and uh, left, right, bottom, 
And what you do is you create priorities based on what you're going to need for the day, what you're going to need for the week, what you're going to need for the two weeks, what you're going to need for, for the quarter, whatever you decide. And that's simple. That makes a lot of sense. But the uniqueness of it is that each of the priority circles and each of the tasks requires that you find the archetype necessary for that task. It requires for you to look for the co-author that will work with you in that task. Uh, and it will guide you into looking at uh, what are the resources that you need in order to be able to fulfill that. And when you do that, not only are you creating priorities, but you're using the right archetype, the right co-author, and the right resources that you need for each of the tasks. And this is not only good for corporate, it's good at home, for fathers, mothers, friends, uh, partners, whatever, because what you're doing is you're using the maximum value of an archetype on the particular task that you have. So what's gonna happen is your efficiency will go up, your energy will stay up, and your health will continue to improve because you're using efficient tools for the daily tasks that if you don't do them right, you'll be stressed out uh, for the rest of the day, and at the end of the day, you have no energy. And then you have to have the coffee or the uh, cigarettes or the drinking or whatever it is to compensate for the inefficiency of the day. So. Uh, you're an example of a well-trained biocognitive uh, scientist. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, in the description of this video, we're going to drop a link to one of the contemplative forest walks, all about personal truth. And then we're also going to put a link to the priority circles for anyone that's interested in purchasing that. So thank you, Dr. Martinez. And we'll see everybody at our next conversation. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure.